Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Ani Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become greedier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. Today, I'm honored to interview my guest, Colonel David Hamill. And quick introduction for Colonel Hamill. He's the commander of the 61st Medical Squadron at Los Angeles Air Force Base, California. He is a board certified and a licensed clinical social worker. He has served in a variety of positions to include mental health, family advocacy, family support, operational health, air mobility command, behavioral health consultant, medical support squadron command, Air Force Medical Operations Agency, mental health division chief, and clinical social work consultant to the Air Force Surgeon General. So it's a long list yes. and very impressive. Uh, prior to his current assignment, he served as the chief of the Biomedical Science Corps Utilization and Enlisted Medical Assignment Branch at the Air Force Personnel Center. And he served as a member of the BSC Board of Directors and was the AFPC representative to the BSC chief for the Air Force Medical Service Personnel Policy Actions. So it's a long biography, and looking through your biography, it, it is very impressive. So here's what I want to start with. You started as a first lieutenant in 1989, I believe, as a social worker, and you moved your way up. But it wasn't all of a sudden you just got promoted below the zone. It was gradual, and what I gathered from reading your biography, from your professional development, um, it was just the gradual grinding and persistence and working your way up slowly, little by little. I think that's what struck me about your biography. So tell me what comes to mind about how you ended up in a position of significant span of control and responsibility from 1989 up to today. Yeah. Well, when I first joined the Air Force, one of the reasons I joined the Air Force was because I enjoyed doing a variety of things. Uh, while I love mental health and I love clinical social work, I saw that in the civilian world that pretty much my opportunity was going to be one kind of track. And while that was fine, I just wanted more. And so when I looked at the Air Force, I saw that there were many opportunities for doing both mental health, uh, social work, as well as other leadership responsibilities and positions. So when I came into the Air Force, a lot was brand new. So I, I started off just kind of getting that foundation in terms of how to be an Air Force social worker and how to be an Air Force officer. But as I did that, and as each assignment, there came other opportunities for me to kind of broaden my level of responsibility, scope of responsibility, leadership responsibility. And fortunately, I had some great mentors along the way as well, who kind of guided me and steered me along the path in terms of how to eventually get into positions like that I'm in today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you ever envision yourself in 1989 being here today? No, no, no for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Definitely okay. not. Okay. Throughout all the years in your career, did you ever feel like, I'm frustrated with the military, I want to leave? 
there were times that I was frustrated, but never to the point where I felt like I, I wanted to leave. Probably the only time that that really came into play was when I was at Maxwell Air Force Base. And I actually was home on convalescent leave and had a call from Air Force Personnel Center saying, uh, sorry, you just been non-involved uh, to go to Turkey. And so at that time, I have two daughters and I had a lot of preconceived ideas in terms mm-hmm. of what it would be like to live in a place like Turkey. And so I was a bit concerned in terms of what that would mean for my family. Uh, but after really thinking about it and talking to friends and praying about it, we decided to take that assignment, which again turned out to be just a wonderful full assignment for us. And we grew as a family. I grew as an individual. I grew as an officer. And again, the leadership opportunity opportunities that were given to me in that assignment were outstanding. So yeah, there have been times throughout my career I've had frustrations, but I always realized that uh, whether I was in the military or out of the military, there's always frustrations right, associated right. with jobs. So let me ask you some of the questions related to your leadership, and you've been in many, many leadership positions. If you were to pick one or two qualities that help you be a better leader, what would you name? I would say I'm pretty good at assessing my resources, the people that work for me, to kind of identify their strengths, identify their areas of weakness, uh, and building teams, helping them work together with me in terms of the goals that we're trying to achieve and trying to utilize their strengths to achieve those goals. That's one, one quality that I have that's been very useful through the years. Second quality, I'd say, is just my mental health background because mm-hmm. in mental health, we were taught a lot of skills in terms of relationship skills, problem-solving skills, communication skills. I think those were very useful tools throughout any of the leadership positions that I've held through the years. Have you ever had feedback where you've been told, this is your strength, and you're like, oh yeah, this is my strength, and let me work on this more? People have told me that those areas that I kind of mentioned were my strengths. I always try to work and improve and try to learn from any leader that I work for as well, too, in terms of what strengths they have that I think would be useful in my toolbox as a leader. Uh, And also from the leaders who weren't so good to realize those are tools that I want to make sure I don't use and don't include in my toolbox. Mm -hmm. And So I've always tried to be aware of those type of skills that could be useful for me in future positions. What about the weaknesses when you've been given feedback and you've been told you really need to be working on this? Yeah, I'd say one area that was useful for me in terms of of what I needed to work on was when I was in my first squadron command position, you know, I knew how to play the game in terms of writing OPRs and promotion and those type of things. And so as a leader, I, I always wanted to do what was best for my people. I could write anybody a very strong OPR. What I didn't really realize sometimes is, is it the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. So for example, I had I had an officer who worked for me who was a great technician, but wasn't necessarily a great leader. Mm-hmm. And so I had written him a very, very strong OPR though. And so when it went to my group commander, my group commander kind of called me in and said, hey, you know, is this kind of your intent? Because in this very strong OPR that you've written, this person is likely to get promoted and, and likely mm-hmm. uh, will be a squadron commander someday. Mm-hmm. Do you think he'd be a good squadron commander? Mm-hmm. And so I really had to step back to kind of look at, I want to do what's best and take care of my people. But I also, as a leader in the Air Force, have a responsibility to make sure that I'm assessing and judging and, and promoting and pushing forward those people who need to be in those leadership positions because we all seen if you get the wrong people in those type Absolutely. of positions, the impact that it can have on the unit as well as the mission. Absolutely. And that's incredible how technical skills or technical expertise often does not translate into being a good leader, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. What is your worst experience in the military? Worst experience in the military? When I got to Air Force headquarters level position, I always had this vision of things that I wanted to do to improve the Air Force or improve our our policies or programs. But when I got into that position, I was very frustrated 
by how the bureaucracy of the Air Force, and it's a very large organization, and so to try to make those changes that I had hoped to make, it became clear to me pretty quickly that I probably wasn't going to be successful in that. And so I had to kind of readjust my expectations uh, in terms of what I was going to be able to achieve or what I was going to be able to do uh, in that position. I was also frustrated in that position uh, by so sometimes we'd be asked questions from Congress or from DOD leaders or Air Force leaders about things, different policies, different issues. We wouldn't be given really a lot of time to kind of answer those questions. And so I felt very frustrated sometimes. The time that I had to give an answer, I wasn't necessarily giving those leaders the best answer that I could. And so I was frustrated that they may be making decisions based on half information or information that may not be as accurate as possible. Those were probably some of the worst experiences, I'd say, in terms of being in the Air Force. What would you do now, knowing what you know about that job? What would you do differently? I think just come in with realistic expectations mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, what what is it that that I can make and, and what kind of difference can I make there? Because I think I'd be less frustrated just knowing to be able to be more successful for those areas that I really, mm-hmm. really can influence and make a difference in. Mm-hmm. And what about your best experiences? Best experiences have just been working with, with some just amazing people throughout the years. And to me, every assignment, I can honestly say I have not had a bad assignment in the Air Force. And, and I've been assigned to places that many people would consider undesirable. Yeah. I'm from Miami, Florida, so you think that I love warm weather, but I spent <laughs> two assignments in Minot, North Dakota, five years there, uh, four years at Isleson Air Force Base in Alaska, uh, really extremely cold places, and places like Turkey, and places like Arkansas, and places like Alabama, and North Carolina, and, and uh, Illinois, and, and Texas, and, and now here in California. And, and every assignment has been awesome because of the relationships that I've been able to build with people. And, mm-hmm. and now I, I literally have friends and, and know people you know, all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that those experiences have just been priceless. Relationships. Yep, relationships. Yeah. Wow, wonderful. How do you mentally organize your priorities? How do you think about the day? How do you think about the week? What kind of laundry list of things runs in your head? I really try to, by the time I leave work, to kind of leave work at work so that when I'm at home, I'm able to kind of really focus and give the attention to my family. And I'm a big organizational kind of freak. And so I really, at work, my, I have rules for myself. Like before I leave my inbox, my email has to be empty. I have to have addressed every email. I won't necessarily have answered every email in terms of to resolution, but I will have kind of categorized and responded and let someone know if it's going to take me several weeks, you know, to kind of figure out or get back to them with an answer. And so even with whether it's email or whether it's task, I'm very organized in terms of what I'm going to work on and when I'm going to work on things. And so before I go home, I'll look at what the next day, the next week's activities are or priorities are or things that I need to really focus my attention on so that when I come in that day, I already know exactly what I'm going to be working on or what I'm going to be doing. And do you have specific rules for the morning, you know, the first thing, the second thing, the, the third thing, or is just at the end of the day, no matter what happens, I have to finish all my emails and all my texts? So, for example, you know, as a commander, I want to make sure that, again, I'm taking care of my people, so that would mean things such as making sure OPRs and EPRs and awards and decks and all those things are signed off on. So with, in the virtual personnel center, you know, I check that every day to make sure that there's nothing pending or waiting on me. If I have any folders in my inbox that need to be signed off or on or need me to deal with, that's empty before I leave. And so I, I don't want my position to ever cause any place mm-hmm. in the organization to be stalled or waited, mm-hmm. have to wait mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just try to make sure that anything that I'm responsible for, you know, that, that I'm on top of and, and that, it's, that it's moving forward mm-hmm. there. That's how you always organize your days or your weeks? 
I learned through the years, again, learning from other people, different techniques to do that, and also learned from people like what I didn't want to happen. Because I, I have, I've had colleagues that I've worked with through the years that literally will have thousands of emails uh, in their inbox. Yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're so That makes me anxious just yeah. to hear. <laughs> yeah, and they're so frustrated and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, and they don't know what they've answered, what they haven't answered, what's important, what's not important. I try to keep my life as stress-free as possible. And so those things that I know that would create or cause stress for me, I want to avoid those things, you know. And I, I've known people, if you go in and you look at their desk, it's literally yes. just yes. covered Clutter. with stuff. I'd always think, how do they know where anything is at or what's, yeah. you know, what's going on? And yeah. so for me, again, organization has been really, really, really important. Try to stay on top of things and have a system that works for me to do that. Yeah, I, I think about it too. When I have clutter in my desk, in my drawer, in my room, I have clutter in my head. Yes, right? yes, exactly. <laughs> so if I want to have a clarity and a goal and, yes. and some organization, I first need to organize my space. Exactly um, right, yeah. yeah. Tell me how you manage um, your own anxiety. And I guess maybe what, what do you feel most anxious about? You know, I always want to make sure my people are taken care of. And so if I'm aware of things that may be going on in their lives that are concerning, that may create some anxiety for me and, and, and wanting to make sure, again, I've done everything as I can as a leader to ensure they have the support that they need to kind of deal with whatever the issue may be. But in terms of just like anxiety related to work responsibilities, I really don't feel that because wow. I, I just, I, I don't know, I just... I, <laughs> You've never felt it? <laughs> no, not really. Not really. I mean, again, as, as a clinician, probably more so than as in staff in leadership mm-hmm. positions. And because as a clinician, as you know, I mean, we literally have someone's life in yeah. our hands. Yeah. And yeah. so you're hoping that what you're doing with them clinically is the right is thing. Yeah. yeah, and that in the mental health world, unfortunately, we don't have a crystal ball that can really tell us, is this person going to kill themselves yeah. tonight? Yeah. So that created actually more anxiety for me than any of the staff or leadership type positions because there's not usually life or death type things and so after experiencing that in the yeah. health world the rest of it's like <laughs> well that's of encouraging cake. yeah piece of cake uh, for somebody like me that is I, i'd like to switch gears a little bit so you sent me a very interesting list um and this was 21 suggestions for success by jackson brown so how did you come across the 21 suggestions for success and why did you decide to choose this as sort of a guide for how you lead your life yeah again through and, and i don't remember exactly who gave me that list but through the years if, if i ran across a list such as that or our thoughts or ideas that I thought were useful tools or tips in terms of how to be a good leader, I always try to save those things, and especially if they kind of fit my philosophy Mm -hmm. and fit kind of my way of thinking, uh, then I really tried to adopt those things because I I, I found them to be useful uh, in different settings when I had to kind of share tips to Mm -hmm. people. So I would would give those type of things out to them as well. Okay. So I want to start with the very first one. It reads, marry the right person. This one decision will determine 90% of your happiness or misery. Yes. Uh, I, I read it multiple times. So tell me, tell me uh, about your 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 second half, or your better half, yes, and yes. how you met, and how did you know that she was the right person? Yes. Or how did she know you were the right person? So she was 15, and I was 17 when we started dating. We dated in high school, went to two separate high schools, and we, we were very young, and we dated uh, through the rest of high school and through college, and then got married after college, and and been together now 34, you know, 34 years. So impressive. And um, but but and and like any relationship you know there's ups there's downs there's good there's bad we've always been very committed to each other and to making the relationship work and when we are in a low spot in our relationship to do whatever it takes uh, to get out of that 
Again, two beautiful daughters. My family has always been one of my huge strengths for me. I've seen so many people who, because of who they married or their yeah. relationship, that created so much stress yeah. or depression or anxiety or just made their lives yeah. miserable. Yeah. And yeah. so, to me, I, I always wanted to make sure my relationship was a priority in terms of making it work. And she's been a huge blessing and strength for me in my life. Encourages, always encourages me to do my best. Uh, challenges me. You know, doesn't let me off the hook with things. Tra- challenges me to be a better person, a better man, better husband. And uh, so, I think we we kind of have supported and complemented each other throughout the years. And so, how do people know that they're marrying the right person? <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody? I mean, how did you know? You were 17. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, we probably didn't know necessarily yeah. that we were the right people. We were too young really, yeah, to, yeah, you know, yeah, to, to yeah. make that decision there. And so I, I just encourage folks to really think through in terms of, you know, is it a person who shares kind of your goals, your dreams, your visions, your hopes? Is it a person that kind of shares your values and your beliefs? Uh, is it a person who, you know, that you believe is really going to be committed to to the relationship in those bad times and those valleys? And and so, again, you don't necessarily know no, for sure no. that's going to be a person like that. But I think to the best of your ability, if you can look for those things versus just whether you're physically attracted to the person mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you have that emotional, you know, feeling, oh, I love that person. Yeah. Uh, it has to be more than that, you know. And so I, I just encourage folks and, and, to, and to have, I think, a good a long dating period. So again, we dated through high school and then four, four years of college. So we had been together, you know, six, seven years before we got married. And so we'd seen the good, the bad, the ugly. We'd seen how we worked together in terms of communication, solving problems, what our values were, what we wanted for each other or for our futures. And so to be able to see that and to really know, I think helped us to know that was the right person for us. At what point you decided, I'm going to propose because that's going to work for me. Do you remember that? So I proposed while we were in college still. And interesting, I think, is, you know, I I was a person who always wanted to be married and wanted to kind of share life with somebody. Mm -hmm. Because while I enjoy my downtime and alone time, but I enjoy more being able to kind of share Mm -hmm. life with somebody. And, uh, And so... When we look back on that, if you were to ask both of us, again, were we ready at the yeah, time yeah, when we yeah. proposed and when we got married? Yeah. Probably not. No, okay. But we did. And we worked all through the years after that because of that commitment that we had to each other. I, I wouldn't say that we were that insightful at that time yes, to yes, know yes, that, yes. yeah, this is you know, this, this, this is going to be great <laughs> and this is, you know, the right person for me. Okay. So here's number two. Work at something you enjoy and that's worthy of your time and talent. Tell me a little bit about this, because I know a lot of people who are very talented in various spheres, athletic, musical, art, whatever. Uh, maybe they're extremely good communicators, and maybe they're very good at persuading people. So, yeah. you know, they could use their skills in a variety of settings, but instead they settle for something different that pays their bills right. and not necessarily their talent. So talk to me about this. Um, h- how do we do this? How do we reconcile this? On the one hand, this passion and desire and talent to do something we want to do. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, yeah, I don't know, maybe this is not realistic to pursue a career of basketball player. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I think there's a fine balance there because... But I, I've, I've always believed that as many hours as we spend at work, so if, if you're doing something that you really don't enjoy, that's a terrible way to spend the majority of your life because we spend so many hours at work. And so to me, that was clear in my mind that I definitely did not want to do something that I wasn't going to enjoy doing. On the same hand, I knew that I needed to do something that was going to be able to provide a lifestyle that I wanted to be comfortable with and to live and provide for my family. And so, like you said, I I knew I couldn't just 
be a basket weaver, underwater basket yeah. weaver somewhere. I, need, I needed to have something that was going to give insurance and that was going to pay a salary that was going to, again, afford us to be able to kind of live the lifestyle that we had hoped to live. So trying to find that thing that gives you that kind of perfect balance of, yeah, this gives me joy, this gives me meaning, this gives me purpose, and it enables me to kind of live the lifestyle that I'd like, then that's a huge win. And not everybody's able to do that. Um, but I think the more you are able to do that, the happier you're going to be, just the more content you're going to be in life. Yeah, yeah I often think about that as, as maybe as a privilege to be able to do that. Yes, to, yeah. To be able to actualize your talents and earn money. Yes, <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So what is your talent? One, um, one, one talent, one of your best talent. <laughs> I, I, I think my talent is, is uh, relationships, uh, building relationships and uh, just relationship skills, communication again, and problem solving skills, organizational skills. I think that's, I think that's my talent. Yeah, yeah, plenty enough for, for a leader for sure. So your number four, become the most positive, I love this, and enthusiastic person you know. Uh, who or what inspired you to be enthusiastic? And you always are. Yeah. <laughs> you're always energetic and you well, always you. have this like, just kind of a positive vibe about you. Where is it from or who is it after? Yeah, through, through the years I've met some, some individuals who really just impressed me because of that quality, just their ability to, regardless of their circumstances, to be positive and to be encouraging and, and not from the perspective of that they're putting blinders on and, and ignoring yeah. the fact yeah. that there are problems or issues in, in the world or in your life yeah. but to realize that in spite of the problems and issues that exist in your life there's still good there's still goodness and and again the valley that you may be in whatever whatever you may be going through is temporary but you have to work you have to work to kind of get out of that and, and move forward and i think just the positive energy that i enjoy being around other positive people as well too and so i want to give that back to others as mm-hmm. well too because it's so easy when you get a group of people together to focus on the negative you know mm-hmm. complain about the weather mm-hmm. or complain mm-hmm. about the traffic mm-hmm. or complain about you know un- yeah. undermanned being undermanned or whatever the case may be uh, instead of kind of again looking at the positive things that kind of exist and, and are going going on in your life right there yeah can you think of one person that oh my gosh i want to be like them there was a lady in the church that I went to growing up as a kid. She had like six or seven kids. Oh, wow. uh, and her husband had died. Uh, one, one of her kids had actually died of leukemia as well, too. She had another child with a mental disability. And yet, in spite of this, this woman uh, who still had this family that she had to care for, uh, had to take care of, and the challenges that she faced, she was always so positive and just, yeah, I just she had this beautiful smile and she had just this just this positive view that regardless of those circumstances, she was still blessed to have these other kids that were healthy yeah. and she still had her life and she still had her friends and she still had her family and it was still the sun was still out shining oh. every day and you know it just really it really oh, spoke to impressive. me that yeah how she could do that in spite of the trials that she was going through. I love hearing stories like this. Um, and that leads us to, to the next question, actually somewhat related. And that's probably my favorite. Persistence, persistence, persistence. What does it mean to be persistent for you? To Just to never give up. I, I know that there are going to be some things that have been more difficult for me to do or for me to learn or for me to achieve. But I can't let those things keep me from achieving or accomplishing what it is that I need to accomplish. And I tried to really instill that in my daughters as well, too, is to make sure that whatever you put your mind to, even if you fail, you fall down, you get back up again and you try again. You keep working towards that goal if it's a goal that's worth achieving. Don't let failure stop you from achieving it there. Can you give me an example of when you really wanted to give up and you you, you you decided, you know what, I've exhausted just about every option that I have and I have no emotional or mental energy for this? Let's see. 
I can't really think of an example right off the top that I've given up okay. or um, are, are about to give up, really. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Can't think of any. Where does it come um, from for, for you personally? This kind of this undying persistence. Um, I, I I would just say uh, that you know I, I think it's I think it's just the the drive that I have to always wanted to do the best to be the best uh, and to you know, my, my goal throughout my career is to always to leave a place better than I found it. And so, again, how I kind of define success is through that perspective. Not that I'm going to change the world, but the garden patch that I'm in right now, what, what can I do to make that better? Uh, and so, you know, w- with that, I think that's helped me to kind of say, okay, regardless of the problems that I may face in trying to achieve that or accomplish that, I'm not going to give up. And so just, just as the drive that's kind of been there always in my life to do that. And do you have... Uh, siblings, um, brothers and sisters, and, and are they like you are, or is it is it something that runs in the family, or you unique in that way? No, I, I have a brother, uh, older brother, and he's a chaplain in the army, and we have we're very similar in a lot of ways, and um, uh, see so he has a he has a desire and a drive to serve others and to help others and to be there for others, and so we do, we do have a lot of similarities there. Do you feel like it's something that your parents instilled in you, your school, your culture that made this trait so important, so salient for you? We weren't very well off at all in my family, and my mom and dad eventually divorced in later years, and my dad, even though you know he's he's and he's dead now, but you know during his life, I always knew that he loved us. But he never really was a good father. He never really was a good husband. Uh, and so I, I always knew I wanted to be more and, and better than that. And he wanted me to be more and to be better than, than he was. And, mm-hmm. and so in spite of his shortcomings, and not to go into the, all the mental health of it all, but his background and childhood was, was a disaster as well, mm-hmm. too. You know, his, his mom died of cancer when he was young, and she had remarried another man who was abusive to her. Mm-hmm. And so then after she died, you know, he was left with this abusive stepfather mm-hmm. who was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and also abusive to his future wives. And so his role model in terms of what it meant to be a husband and a father mm-hmm. were also very poor. And so so I think, you know, he did. So I don't want to, I don't try to judge my father too hard because I think he did the best that he could you know given given his circumstances, circumstances. Yeah. but I always knew that I wanted more from for myself and for my family uh, than what what I had as, as, as a kid and so that was part of my drive for me to try to always to do better and to, and to, and to succeed yeah, very cool what about your mom she, she was always kind of the rock in the family, and so in spite of his weaknesses and his areas that he really needed to prove, she was always there for us, and she she was the, the breadwinner for the home, and so, you know, he would jump from job to job, but she always worked, you know, worked for a company, and so she was kind of the stability and the foundation for us, and she always had a very strong faith. Uh, and tried to help us to have that faith as well too and, and pushed us to have that faith. And uh, so so through the years, in spite of the, the rockiness of their relationship, we still had a very solid home and foundation because of her. I love that you mentioned uh, three women already, that you said one of your role models was this woman, single yeah. mother, and then you mentioned your own mother. Yes. You mentioned your wife. Yes. Right. So lots of strong women in your life. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Another one that I like was discipline yourself to save money on even the most modest salary. So why this and why do you connect with that? There was a, there was a, a psychologist, uh, Dr. James Dobson, is a Christian psychologist that years ago, I was listening to him on a radio station. He said that the more that you own, the more that you're owned by things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that really stuck with me. And so for me, a priority was always to be not driven by owning things or having things or having a certain amount of money, but to be debt free. 
and to have a life where I didn't have to be stuck in a job necessarily that I didn't want to be in because to live a certain lifestyle or those mm-hmm. things. And then, you know, through the years and through the years in the Air Force, you know, I've had lots of friends who bought campers and four-wheelers and mm-hmm. boats and mm-hmm. all these toys, but then they're kind of strapped financially mm-hmm. because of those things. And it kind of, again, creates stress. And I try to keep my life stress-free, yeah. you know, and it creates a burden for them. And so to me, it's been more about experiences and relationships. And so for my family, you know, we, we, we're not about driving the big fancy cars or owning the big fancy house, more about where can we get together as a family and experience some great relationship that we'll mm-hmm. be able to remember forever. Mm-hmm. That's been more of our priority than, than things. And so trying to be financially sound has been an important priority to enable us to do that. So here's maybe a more personal question. I know that you talked about this a little bit during one of your commander's calls, so I, I thought that I'd ask you because you, at least during the commander's call you feel comfortable talking sure. about this. Um, tell me about the periods of darkness, loneliness, despair, and what got you through. Sure. Yeah, I, I went through a health scare back in like 2002, 2003. I started having some muscle fasciculations and twitching in my muscles and some cramping and wasn't sure what was going on with that. And so as I, I was evaluated by neurologists and there were all these abnormal results. And so then they were concerned that it was a motor neuron disease like ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, which is typically fatal within five years. And so that really rocked my world, you know, to think that I might have a condition or a disease that was going to be fatal because I'm a, a husband, a father, I've got these young kids and I've got these dreams and visions about life together and growing old with my wife and all these experiences. How old were you at the time? 40, 41 or so. It shook my faith even because oftentimes with, with faith, it's easy to have faith when things are, are good, yeah. uh, but it's more difficult to have faith when you're going through a dark a dark period. And so fortunately I had friends who were there to kind of encourage me, to help me to realize that in spite of what I was going through, again, my faith, and, and to realize that you know God is still with me, mm-hmm. God still loves me, still cares about me, regardless of how it turns out. And, and it could turn out bad, but it, even if it did turn out bad, everything else was going to be okay and so just trying to because of those having those friends it really helped me kind of get through kind of those dark periods that I had there do you remember the worst moment you just got to mine that I think yes and somebody actually died from condition that they they suspected you had and so you know I imagine that that wasn't easy what kinds of thoughts were going through your head yeah there was a person at Alaska where I had just come from who had recently died of ALS and so I had seen firsthand you know how that person had suffered and, and how terrible that disease is and so when I first was going through the different tests there was these there were abnormal findings and so I, I try not to worry but you know I think sometimes you just you think the worst and, and it kind of carries you further down and so then when they sent me to the Mayo Clinic and they did all these other tests as well too uh, that still came back abnormal and they said well we're really just gonna have to wait and see we're mm-hmm. gonna have to come back in six months and let's see if this thing progresses to see exactly what it is and so that six month period of having to wait yeah. to see what was going to happen were things going to get worse probably the darkest and hardest time for me. Some of my colleagues I had met when I first came into the Air Force, Colonel Rob Campbell, a good friend of mine, he came into the Air Force a year after me and uh, we met you know, at, at conferences and different things like that and, and maintained a friendship throughout the years. And he's always been somebody that I could that I could turn to. And I, and I found that it's important to have yeah. you know, those, those few close friends that when things really do get rough, that you really have the confidence to be able to go to and to share your thoughts, to share yeah. your feelings, to yeah. share your fears. 
uh, with, and he was there for me, you know, every step of the way. Wow. Yeah, so important to be able to be vulnerable in moments like this, right? Yes. Especially when you're in position of, of leadership and maybe yes. yeah, you don't have lots of, so there's opportunities to certainly to share your pain with your subordinates. Yeah, and, and it was hard for me to share with, with, my, with my wife, Heather, mm -hmm. uh, because I, I wanted to try to be strong for her, and I didn't mm -hmm. want her to worry, and I didn't want the kids to worry, and mm -hmm. so I didn't feel like I could be as vulnerable with them yeah. at that time. And yeah. so, like, like you said, it was very useful to be able to be vulnerable with somebody that I could cry, that I could, I could cry to, and I could yeah. really, you know, share my fears and, and share my anxiety that I was, yeah. that I was experiencing. Yeah. When we look at leaders, we look at somebody who is flawless, right? Or maybe they have some flaws, but generally they, they just have it all together mm. and they have it all figured out and they have the answers to all the questions. And, you know, we don't see the struggle or we don't see the darkness, but, but we're all a human and, and we all have vulnerabilities and weaknesses. So right now when you're struggling with something, is there a mantra that you say to yourself, some simple saying or a prayer or a meditation or something that you always go to? Several Bible scriptures that really okay. kind of come to mind that okay. to try to get some strength from. And I think it's important. I think there's just some general things that are important in terms of not going through things alone, having a support system. Yeah. I think it's important, as we've seen in mental health, I can't tell you the number of people that I counseled through the years who were under investigation for something or whose spouse was going to leave them and or they had you know something going on terrible at work and, and how they stress and anxiety and problems that they would create in their mind by worrying about things that hadn't happened yeah. or thinking the worst. And so just encouraging folks to to try to stay in, in the present and not get too mm -hmm. far in the yes, future yes. when you're going through some of those struggles and those trials. Yes, yeah. This is a, maybe a strange question, but I'm curious. What do you judge? Maybe at work and people. I know, I know you try not to judge, yeah. but, but when you do, what do you find yourself? Oh, that was judgmental of me. Let me think. Um, what do I get judgmental about? If I feel a negative way towards anybody for whatever the reason might be, I have to evaluate for myself what's behind that. Mm -hmm. Is it factual? Am I being fair to that person? Mm -hmm. uh, am I? Is there another way that I really could be looking at the situation? So let's say I, I think somebody is lazy, or let's mm -hmm. say I think somebody is judgmental themselves or mm -hmm. closed-minded mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. To step back and say, okay, why am I yeah. kind of thinking that, and, and what's what's behind that? Is it is it really yeah. realistic? That goes along with one of the 21 suggestions for success. Stop blaming others. Take responsibility yes. for every area yeah, yes. of your life. Yeah. And that's, there's a book I did read, uh, Conscious Leadership, which was a real, yeah. really good book. And yeah. part, part of that talks about that as well, yeah. too, is you know, accepting responsibility, not blaming others for your circumstances, being the author of your, of your destiny there. Yeah. And so uh, last question, what's after the military? I, you know, um, my, my wife wants me to keep working, not because she, she wants me to keep making money, but she, she views me as a person who has to be, likes to be challenged yeah. and likes to, likes, likes to be busy and engaged. And engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I, I have a lot of hobbies like uh, repurposing uh, wood, woodworking, gardening, traveling, hiking, biking, fishing. I would really love to spend some time doing those type of things. So I'm not sure at this point which direction I'll go, if I'll keep working or if I'll kind of pursue my hobbies. It'll be one of those two things. Awesome. Do you, is there something that I'm not asking you? Is there something that you think is important to, to, to know about you? Um, no, I think I, I can't really think of anything else. I think okay. you covered everything very well. Okay. Do you have any questions for me? No, I, I don't have any questions. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for your, for your time. Thanks. This is your host, Major Anya Fedotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid Podcast. 
Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and crit to normalize the airman's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is anavfidotova.mil at mail.mil. It's anna.v.fedotova.mil at mail.mil.